It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, February 13th, 2019. And you're listening to God and Comics, where we've replaced your usual hosts with Folgers Crystals. Let's see if you all notice the difference. Those of you who didn't get that, ask your parents. On today's show, Robots and Artificial Intelligence. How have comics depicted our metal friends? What questions are raised by the concept of artificial life? And what preparations do we have in place for the inevitable robot apocalypse? I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am the chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm the rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. And also on the line is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm the rector of Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Okay, welcome, uh, gentlemen, uh, during this cold, warm, cold, warm, cold, warm, cold <laughs> part of the year. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. So uh, we're going to jump right into our recommendation. Father Kyle, why don't you take it away? So I've recently um, kind of gone back to some of the classic DC um, storylines that I have either uh, not read in the past or read but kind of forgotten. Um, I was a little bit inspired recently to go back and do this because DC has been publishing um, two lines of, of trade paperbacks. One is called the DC Essential Edition, and um, the other one is called the DC Black Label. Um, one is uh, gathering together the storylines that they think are essential for anybody who's trying to jump into DC's world should read. And um, the Black Label has been all of the um, stories that have had a little bit more adult content to them. They're standalone stories that are a little bit grittier and dirtier in the world of DC. Um, one of the titles that DC is publishing under its Black Label is um, a storyline that's called Kingdom Come. That was from uh, 1996. It was written by Mark Wade and uh, beautifully painted by Alex Ross, who's one of my absolute favorite artists ever. Love his stuff. I love his Astro City stuff and love everything he's done. So the Kingdom Come storyline is uh, is sort of a play on the biblical book of Revelation. It, it kind of runs in the same vein of as the book of Revelation does it in telling a story, a revealing story over a period of time. The basic storyline is that the superhero world has fallen on hard times. The heroes have become darker and edgier and uh, more prone to violence. The world has become a little bit more chaotic and, and uncontrolled. And there's a, a main protagonist in the story whose name is Norman McKay, who is a pastor doesn't necessarily specify what his church is, but he seems to be something along the line of a Methodist or a Presbyterian or Baptist minister. Um, certainly not an Episcopalian, we can tell that, or a Roman Catholic. Norman McKay is, um, is greeted by the specter, and the, uh, the specter takes him on a revealing trip through the world to see the powers at work in the world, the powers of darkness and the powers of good. And uh, a lot of the story has to do with the return to the superhero fold of Superman, who had gone away for a long period of time. 
and the inevitable return of light and goodness into the world um, by the uprising, ultimately, of, of uh, Captain Marvel, Shazam. Uh, some good stuff happens around him. It's, it's a very cool storyline. As I said, it, it follows a similar thread to the way that the Book of Revelation works in the Bible. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and, and it's beautiful to look at. So I certainly recommend that you go out and read it. I'm a bit surprised. I was just trying to think, is this the first time Kingdom Come has, has come up in our God and Comic podcast? Because it's, it's one of the more explicitly, you know, r- religiously freighted comic books, certainly superhero comic books to be published. See, and it, it, it's such a classic. It's just great. It is. And, you know, I was thinking that, too. I was kind of wondering if you had given the recommendation on it, Matt. And I kept no. I kept probing my brain thinking that you didn't. So that was part no, of the reason I, why I did I it. Never, but, I never have. I mean, but, you know, I, I read the book back when it came out and really enjoyed it. One of the, the, the pastor in this story, I believe he's based, at least in part, or at least his appearance on... Alex Ross's father. He is, yeah, he is. There's a little bit about it in the back of the collected edition that I have that talks about that. It's funny to me because he looks like Robert Farrer Capon, who is one of my heroes. Uh, <laughs> he does a little bit now that you mention it. Yeah, that's all I kept. Is Alex Ross's father a pastor too? And I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't I haven't read this, um, so I'll have to I'll have to put it towards the top of my oh, list. No? Uh, oh no! Wow. Yeah, I haven't even heard of it before so. now. But uh, I I love Alex Ross. I'm right there with you on that. You know, he has a very Norman Rockwell kind of quality to his art mm-hmm. that I think is really interesting. But it's it's so it's it's got that like Rockwell quality, but it's also like more specific than rockwell is i don't know quite how to describe that because i don't it's like rockwell meets jack kirby <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I-, I saw a great when i lived in pittsburgh and i was studying at a uh, trinity school for ministry out in ambridge by pittsburgh at the andy warhol museum they had an awesome uh display of alex ross's original artwork oh really That's oh and cool. it was phenomenal it was sure. so. It was. It was. It was so much fun to see. Father Jonathan, you you've seen the images from Kingdom Come. I'm sure you know the the kind of older looking Superman with the graying temples and the mm-hmm. yeah the, sure uh, the, the kind of black behind his symbol. That's from Kingdom Come because it's set you know a little distant in the future where Superman's kind of aging. Batman's like a grizzled old like Clint Eastwood kind of guy still you wouldn't want to mess with him still i thought the older <laughs> i thought the older superman was from crisis on infinite earths well he is there's a different different this older is a superman different older crisis. superman okay yeah okay the only one who hasn't aged is is wonder woman who just still yeah. looks like she's in like her mid-20s yeah that's right <laughs> she never ages right yeah. <laughs> okay well thank you for that uh recommendation uh father kyle so let's uh, move into our main conversation, which is about robots and artificial intelligence and all of those kinds of all of those kinds of things, which is interesting because until I actually sat down and started to think about it, I, it didn't occur to me just how completely ubiquitous this is in comics. 
But it is. There's a ton of it. There are lots of robots, and there's lots of artificial intelligence, and it is pretty much just taken for granted that that's that that's a thing most comic genres except for you know like real historical fiction or something like that um and even there it's <laughs> even there it's like you know best two out of three whether or not robots are going to show up so let's let's start with some good examples and we can of course you know go into various genres but um might be interesting to talk about some of the the robots that we've in, enjoyed uh reading about or seen uh either in the superhero genre or elsewhere so uh father matt i know you have some thoughts on this what do, what do you got you know i i'm a huge fan of of robots <laughs> and the you know the robot genre and in, in fact um one of my favorite science fiction novelists for for ages uh and, and certainly when i was in high school is isaac asimov and isaac asimov's the known expert and authority on, on robots so and, and and really all of when we get into this you know we'll see like a lot of the comic book depictions of robots build off of isaac asimov's stories so isaac asimov wrote the the collection of short stories i robot You've guys, you've guys heard of iRobot. Mm -hmm. um, they made a movie with Will Smith where it, it's not very much like the, any of the short stories at all. Important to Asimov is this principle that I think we it, we want to get sort of like out in the open right away. You guys, do you know about the three laws of robotics? No. The three laws of robotics. Now, these will show up even outside of Asimov's books and they and they show up in in a lot of comic books as well the three laws of robotics are, are basically like they're invented to regulate robot behavior because i mean one of the first things we think about with robots is the rampaging robot right the the frankenstein type robot that turns on his maker Right. So so Asimov was like, well, there's there's a practical solution to this. And he developed these three laws. And the first law is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Right. The second law is a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. They sort of build off of the other one. The third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or the second laws. The, these three laws set up like the basics of like robot kind of programming and psychology. And al almost all of Asimov's stories are like uh are, are like you know situational uh stories involving the three laws of robotics and they involve his uh his brilliant protagonist in a lot of them susan calvin who's she's sort of like the scientific uh, genius behind the the positronic brain which is the real technological advance in in, in robotics right, right? This is, and that's the idea. That's the idea, by the way, where uh, Star Trek gets the positronic network 
brain that that data absolutely. has comes right from Asimov. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, it, absolutely. It's all built on Asimov. I mean, almost everything we'll talk about is kind of built on Asimov. And Susan Calvin, I think somewhere I read that her birth date was she was born in 1982, which I always loved because you know she's my age. But you know she's she's the one that makes the breakthrough. Well. Well, anyway, so the the three laws of robotics and this kind of situational thing sort of spills that out in the comic books a lot. And so when I was, I'm trying to think of examples in comic books. Uh, one of the examples that I that I first thought of was Magnus the Robot Fighter. You you all know Magnus the Robot Fighter was published. I want to say it was in the '60s, probably the early '60s, by Gold Key. And it has um, it has beautiful artwork, and it's just a, a delight to, to look at. Really, I mean, colorful and Magnus sort of looks ridiculous. He's got sort of this red jumpsuit that you know, sort of shorts and white boots. But um, <laughs> but he fights robots with bare hand with his bare hands, right? So he, he's he's like a karate guy, and he's always showing like busting up robots, right? So. Magnus is kind of like it's kind of like a futuristic Tarzan. He he was raised by robots, and he was raised by one robot in particular. This robot called One A, or I, yeah, I think it's One A and not A One, like the steak sauce. <laughs> it's how <laughs> but, robots are but, done. Um, yeah. In, in in Magnus's world, human beings have become increasingly dependent on on robots like robots do everything and human societies become like decadent and lazy and the robots sort of run everything and the robots become increasingly territorial and 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 kind of like authoritarian there's like these police bots magnus is like adopted robot father he lives by the the three laws of robotics are like his creed you know he, he's like robots are meant to or created to serve mankind and not to be the masters of mankind. So uh, he's committed to this principle above all else, you know, which is the second law. A robot must obey its master unless when conflicting with the first law. So Magnus is like raised from birth to be like this super karate expert that like will bust up robots that, that have gone ro- rogue. You know, so he enforces, you know, the the three laws of robotics. So, I mean, uh, and it's been published. The gold key characters got picked up. I remember when I was young, they were published by Valiant Comics um, and then by Dark Horse. And I don't know who's doing them now, but I noticed there's a there's a female Magnus, the robot fighter out there now that I haven't had the opportunity to read. So Magnus was one of the characters. And connected with that, I thought of in DC Comics, there's the Metal Men. Mm-hmm. The reason I mention that is because you know who the guy who is the scientist behind the Metal Men is, is named what? Doc Magnus, right? Doc Magnus. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's got to be kind of a wink at Magnus the Robot Fighter. Yeah. Um, so, so. Doc Magnus is sort of a lot like Susan Calvin. He's like this brilliant scientist who's sort of in the DC universe is like the real uh, genius behind robot technology. 
and he he did he builds the robot men uh, or the the not the, the the metal men. They're based on metals, right? So there's gold, there's lead, there's mercury, there's platinum. He gives them this special. At first, they're just kind of like blank slate. They're just like machines, you know. But he then he, his real innovation is to create this device, which is called a, a responsometer. A responsometer, and this is sometimes called like an artificial soul. And this is what where the the metal men really get their human personalities from, and they are very human. I mean, they're goofy and like they're grumpy, uh, and 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 you know, Platinum, who's like the female robot, is kind of she's she thinks she's a, a real woman, and she's like in love with Doc Magnus, of course, right? He's also Doc Magnus shows up in all the other DC books too. I mean, when Robot Man, Robot Man from the Doom Patrol. Who isn't really a robot? I mean, he has a robot body, but he has this human brain that's implanted into his robot body. And Doc Magnus designs a body for for Robot Man. And 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 then of course in Marvel, there just to name one example, um, is the Vision. The Vision who it, the Vision is built by um, Ultron. Ultron, who himself is a robot, but Ultron built this. A synthesoid like you know android type figure the vision and and the vision's like a super advanced artificial intelligence but he has like he has the brain patterns of like wonder man or something like that right mm-hmm. um and, but what i love about the vision is it's kind of like a pinocchio type situation because the vision is so such an advanced machine that he he he's almost human and he's always trying to be human he, and he even marries a human woman the scarlet witch and and um if you've read tom king's vision run that's all about you know him trying to be human building himself like a family and 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 the way that you know these synthesoids these robots try to fit in the human society and, 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 and how they adopt human manners and but how there's always this kind of they'll never quite be human so i always thought that was pretty fascinating there are a couple of very common uh tropes that that have to do with robots that show up over and over again in in science fiction and uh, we'll talk about more than one of them here but that that one that you just identified the pinocchio uh, trope is very very common i mean that's uh-huh. again that's that's commander data right um right that's there's just a, a number of like um figures red tornado there's a number of figures that kind of fit into that into that framework father kyle uh what what came to mind for you well i think that i think father matt you kind of put your finger on on um, one of the themes that theme of of the robots being built for a benevolent purpose initially, and then the rogue robot, mm-hmm. you know, that was one of the things as I was thinking about this episode and and this theme that seemed to be recurring even from the nineteen late nineteen thirties nineteen forties on. Whenever we seem to encounter robots, uh, especially in that early genre, the golden age of comics, we seem to find these robots who have that that um, setup where they're initially built to serve mankind and to be a good thing and then end up becoming the bad guy. Yeah, I was just thinking of Brainiac, actually. Um, The Brainiac from the 1980s, right? That was Mm -hmm. certainly an example of a robot 
but he kind of plays off of the Brainiac from the 1950s and 60s, which is an alien, and then the alien brain gets implanted into the robot body, and you know he mm-hmm. becomes one of Superman's uh, robotic nemesis in that front. Well, Ultron um, would be. We just mentioned Ultron. That would be another example, right? Yeah, certainly Ultron's an example of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know the one that I was thinking of, which was a recent one in Spider-Man Deadpool, which had, has been a very zany comic. Um, they did this this like 12-part episode recently that involved the Master Matrix, who was a robotic creation of um, Richard and Mary Parker. And, and, you know, they were kind of raising him like a robotic son. <laughs> and uh, and ultimately, he ends up feeling rejected, and and in his sense of rejection, he turns into a uh, evil robot who seeks to um, take over the world by duplicating humans into robot, into you know other forms of of uh, AI animatronic type beings. So um, that was a very big theme in that recent storyline in Spidey Deadpool. Because robots can so easily usurp you know control and, and and the robot servants could become our robot overlords for that reason the the law the three laws of robotics make make a lot of sense as many people have pointed out there's there's a bit of a loophole there and Asimov has has shown the loophole too so there's these three laws right the first law being that the robot has to basically protect human life but there's there's like this evolution that takes place in, in, in the robot consciousness where there's actually a, a law above the first law that, that they sort of develop called zero law, right? Which is the drive in, in the robot programming to protect not just individual people, but humanity itself, Right. So, it, so if the first law means they have to protect people and, and not to allow people to come to harm, then the zero law is sort of the natural extension of that. And it becomes almost like this cold, utilitarian kind of system, right, that, uh, that threatens. So, so, of course, well, the best way to protect human beings is if we seize control. and uh and and then we'll make sure that we'll set up a perfectly rational robot you know as our rational robot overlords we'll never we'll make sure that human beings never come to any harm right right you know actually like when you hear you know when you hear interviews with like uh scientists and people who work in robotics and stuff like that which there have been some really great ones on a couple of other uh, podcasts that i listen to Uh, imaginary worlds has a great one Um, that's a great podcast by the way imaginary worlds imaginary worlds um but you know you talk to to the folks who actually like work in robotics and stuff and they tell you like they'll say like you know the sort of vision of the robots taking over a la the matrix is pretty unrealistic um, that that could ever really happen that it would be like the robots suddenly become these conscious creatures who just decide they're going to be our overlords but they said what's totally possible is the is the other scenario where we create a computer that is so efficient at doing whatever it is we tell it to do that it destroys us in the process you know <laughs> <laughs> isn't that interesting though i right. mean that that 
plays in very much to this ongoing theme always that we think that these things, you know, robots, computers, whatever, are benevolent. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is an underlying fear that we'll always do, as just as you said, we'll make it so good that somehow it's going to overtake us and end up uh, to our detriment. That mm-hmm. seems to just be a, re- a recurring theme all the way well, back. I, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the theme since Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Guys, help me remember, the Avengers Age of Ultron, I mean, that's kind of like the plot, right? I mean, Ultron sort of, he's... He's the supercomputer mm-hmm. gone sentient, but he has some anti-life philosophy. But it's kind of. Do you guys remember what? Like, why does he? Why does he go off? I'm fuzzy on. Yeah, it it's right hard now. to remember. I, re- I, I get it confused now with the with the plot of the movie, which was not the same. Well, well, that's um, what I'm talking about. The movie. Is that? Oh, this is what. That's what you mean. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. yeah the, the the definitely in the movie, he's got this almost like biblical kind of. <laughs> there's a lot of like biblical allusions that he makes, but it's for the sake of like eradicating the, um, the lower species. You know, yeah, it was like. Yeah, I mean, he has this sort of misguided benevolence, but yeah, but I, it's been a while since I, I I've, I've seen the movie and. I have to listen to our podcast. I was going to say, we did a whole show on it. We should look back. Um, So I wanted to bring up a couple of examples, uh, and some of them we've already talked about, so I'll I'll leave that be. One, of course, that that came to mind was uh, one that we often forget was actually a robot initially, and that's the Human Torch. Uh, the, the, oh yeah the first yeah, human torch course. which is the, sort of interesting yeah and isn't that interesting too that like the human torch was a <laughs> was a robot uh-huh. so you know and that's you're, you're going we're going all the way back to 1939 for that right like that's marvel comics number one clearly this has been in the in the uh in the makings and in the superhero genre for a very very long time but the other one that that comes to mind and that introduces um, I think the third big trope. So we talked about the Pinocchio uh, effect. We talked about the uh, a, a robot apocalypse trope. The the third big one I think um, can can be represented by uh, the idea of robots as uh, enslaved beings, right? That becomes the, that's the third trope. Um, so I think a, uh, there are lots of examples of this, but I think a, a really good one and one that I love is, uh, and this is not the superhero genre, but Alex and Ada um, yes, from yeah. a few years ago uh, from Image, which is a limited series that, that was done on by Image, is a great uh, romance, basically, story um, in a, you know, kind of world like ours, but just a little bit in the future, just a, you know, a little more technologically advanced in which they have these robots that of course look like us and that are being used as companions and as, uh, you know, work, uh, around the house and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but that don't have any free will. And of course you come to find out pretty quickly that they don't have any free will because it's been suppressed in them, but really they have, you know, consciousness and they have free will that's just been suppressed because of some bad thing that happened, uh, with one of the earlier models. And, uh, you know, and so it's this like 
forbidden love story between this man and this robot that he never even really wanted and then he's you know discovers that she is in fact conscious and all of that kind of stuff beautifully drawn book too but you know what's interesting about that trope uh in particular this is true of all three of those big tropes in a way it it starts from the basis uh from the basic idea that artificial intelligence can and will at some point equal artificial life and that at that point um you know and so it becomes about prejudice right and there's there's been some really great stuff around that theme i i know i continuously keep bringing up data uh, <laughs> but it's hard not to right like so The Measure of a Man is one of my absolute favorite episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, where Data is basically put on trial uh, to determine whether or not he is a sentient being and has rights. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful episode. It makes me cry when I watch it sometimes. And yet, what I wonder about that whole exercise is why it is that we are so interested in or why we would even begin to think that a thing called artificial life could actually be a reality. Like, what do you guys think of that? It has been explored pretty powerfully. I mean, there's, there's, there's this wonderful... I, I remember really liking it when it came out, Ma mainly because I was it was at the height of my Asimov fixation. And it's based on one of Asimov's short stories, The Bicentennial Man. Mm -hmm. You remember that movie with Robin Williams, The Bicentennial Man? Oh, yeah, yeah, and, bigger, and it, yeah. It's basically about this, right? Um, he starts off as a robot, but, but over the ages, he becomes more and more human. He becomes more and more lifelike. So, so he starts to look more human, and he gets updates in his in his technology and whatnot. If I'm remembering it correctly, and uh, and he actually applies for some sort of it's the details are vague, but like there's basically the same kind of thing like in Star Trek, where it's like is he is he a person under the law? I mean, he he of course he's not human. But is he a is he a person like so is he an individual uh, deserving of 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 rights under the law and 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 they're like how could you possibly deny his personhood imagining how complex this technology gets certainly if they are like data you know if if there was a real robotic being like data you can't help but think of him as 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 a person relate to him as a person it gets into this really sticky kind of theological philosophical but he's not human it's all just it's all just uh you know artificial right and that's why you know like so i, I mean i agree with you if there was a person like data and of course we have to say it like that right because data is presented to us within the confines of that fictional universe as a person but you know i i think that underneath uh some of that some of the 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 storytelling not always but some of the storytelling with that trope is a very 
insidious materialist view of the universe that says that, well, you know, so what is a person? Well, a person is uh, something that is self-aware <laughs> and that and that thinks. And, uh, you know, so we can imagine a computer that, you know, so it's, you know, one of these days could kind of um, come up with that, that would just like it would it would somehow make the leap uh, and then boom, there it is. And it's got a soul and everything else. And I think that that is it's sticky theologically. It's not just yeah, but it's not just that it's sticky theologically. I think it's not realistic. Like I think that is a mistaken philosophical view of the world that would suggest that we're basically just a sum of parts. I mean, that same logic oh. would say that if we put all the right chemicals together in a bottle, we could come up with William Shakespeare if we tried. Right. You know, like everything is just like reducible um, to to raw material. And furthermore, it's I mean, it, it's part of how we get into the idea that even certain groups of human beings are not necessarily people. Right. Because uh, the, the elderly uh, who are very sick once they get past a certain point are no longer deserving of of our respect as human beings because they don't, they, they can't, their quality of life, quote unquote, disappears, uh, which is a code yeah. word for saying, well, they can't uh, reason in the same way that they used to. Um, same thing with, you know, not to get too controversial here, but same thing with uh, children in the womb, really. Um, it's, it's, it's this whole idea that, that's based on a kind of materialist philosophy. No, I would agree with you, uh, I think. Um, you know, I think that to push it in a slightly different direction, but, but similar, the, I think the underlying problem is human beings always want to be God. You know, that's what it means that we live in original sin is that we, we have aspirations to be our own masters and our own lords. And part of that wanting to be our own master and our own lord is that we think we have the ability within us to create in the way that God creates. You know, we don't. It's as plain as that. God is the only one who can create life, but there's a hubris in us that thinks that if we can just sort of pull those material parts, as you're talking about, together, that we can somehow create a life out of that. Um, only a soul can come from God, right? And, and I think that's one of the areas where we go wrong, and I think that's reflected in that. You, you mentioned earlier, Father Jonathan, about the anxiety about... Um, artificial intelligence actually becoming artificial life. And I think that's where some of the anxiety lies, is the idea that could we possibly do this? And if we did do this, where might it go? Just to push back a little bit, I mean, I think part of the what's compelling about these stories, like with vision or data or the bicentennial man or, or, or whatever it is, is that, okay, so they... They, they have this material origin, right? They were made in a factory, you know, or, or, or whatever. They were made by another super advanced robot. But who they are is not reducible to the sum of their parts. I mean, just to say the opposite of what there, – there's, there's something more there. Um, and it's not just machinery, but there's, there's something – insubstantial there that, that 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 a soul 
you know how how has it arrived it's 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 more than meaning they're more than just a thing now they're this something else i mean and i I think it causes us to ask about it it causes us to reflect upon this question of of the soul another great science fiction author that kind of wrestles with this idea of what it means to be human is uh is philip k dick and Philip K. Dick, in his book, the book that uh, Blade Runner was based on, um, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" It's been. It's, I've read most of these books when I was in high school, <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm reaching back here. But um, so there, there's this, there's there's these uh, androids that are so lifelike, and and, and mimic human beings. To such a, 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 a almost complete extent that they're that they they're indistinguishable from people, and they themselves may not even know that they are really robots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they have artificial memories and everything, and there's just like a, there's this elaborate set of questions that you need to ask these robots to determine whether or ask these people or androids. You know, to just figure out who they are. If I recall correctly, the distinguishing characteristic that they're looking for is empathy. Empathy. The androids mimic human beings and their emotions so perfectly, and they've got these false memories and everything in there that that you can't really tell, but. If you dig down deep enough, you'll find that they, they, they lack the ability to feel empathy. Um, mm-hmm. And this is like, you know, this is how you determine uh, an android from a person. There's something, meaning, so there's, there's deep down there, there's something uh, absent from the android that that makes it less than perfectly human. But it, it's, it's really, it's, it's more about mimicry than anything. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know if that's relevant or. or, or yeah, or no, no. It, I mean, it makes me think of like uh, something like Battlestar Galactica, for instance, and the Cylons, mm-hmm. um, some of whom you know don't know that they're uh, at least at the beginning of that. I'm talking about the newer series. Um, at least at the beginning of that, don't know that that's what they are. You know, the the fir- the first point you made uh, was actually the next thing that I was gonna was going to bring up so you and i are on on a similar wavelength there because i think that the materialist problem that i was pointing out is is one way of rendering that those tropes yeah but there is a flip side to that um and and that's that's what you were mentioning like this whole idea of okay i am now more than just my parts that there is this 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 soul there is this other thing that's come into me and i think on that level when robot stories work on that level it becomes more like like why we tell fairy stories like these are you know ro- robot stories in some ways are like modern fairy stories like these are uh-huh. these are an attempt on our part to talk about our own humanity outside of itself right so sometimes it's like easier to sort of make that exploration happen with um fairies and sprites and 
<laughs> and nymphs and you know creatures of 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 that sort and in the same way it's sometimes easier it's i mean it's also alien stories for that matter some some yep. alien uh -huh. stories like it's like you know okay so the robots in this case are not really robots they're stand-ins for and i think that's actually a lot of science fiction robots um today because while somebody like an asimov um who really was creating science fiction right like he was thinking about what the fake science <laughs> would be that would go into yeah, it's that not fake science it's well that's what i'm saying speculative speculative right exactly <laughs> like fake like not fake in the sense that we think of fake like fake news but like it's like okay here yeah, is no, like I, I get it. here is how a scientific development could take place that would lead to this you know a lot of robot fiction is just made up like there's no <laughs> <laughs> well, right? there's, there's, like there's no you hard know science fiction like arthur c Clarke and asimov and yeah guys, yeah you know? yeah but i mean i think like especially when we're thinking about like robots and comics i mean like good grief there's no conceivable pad pathway that leads to the vision right right <laughs> he is a a stand-in for our own grappling with the meaning of our humanity and on, and, you and know, on that level, it, I think those stories are great. Isn't it, isn't it interesting, too, that, I mean, we start to tell these robot stories. And I, I think part of it is the modern man, his existential angst being reflected in these stories. Like, what am I? Am I just a ghost in a machine? A am I just a bucket of bolts? What's really functionally the difference? There's this crisis of identity with, with 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 modern people who have made these scientific advances, but are losing they're they're losing their their confidence or grip on on what it means to be distinctly human. You know, this is part of the way we're like working it out is by visiting these stories about robots over and over and over again. It's going to be a nightmare when the phones finally take over. <sighs> Well, well, so you're getting close. You know, he, here's here's the thing. So we have artificial intelligence, right? We have robots. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference between a robot and an android? Um, well, I always thought of an android, and and maybe I'm, this is just my own belief, but an android is built to built more in the likeness of of a man. Yes. Right. So. You know, there's there's Robbie the robot from Lost in Space. I mean, and he he approximates the human form. He's got like claws, but he's got he's got like a big you know spinning flashlight for a head. But an android built more to mimic like like data. So we have that, and, and you know, in in division they're called a synthesoid or or whatever. There's different mm -hmm. t terms for it. But then there's also this idea of the cyborg, and the cyborg is part man and part machine so mm -hmm. you have you know we already mentioned robot man from the doom patrol he's got a robot body he's got a he's got a human brain and then of course there's cyborg i was himself. gonna say the classic right. example being cyborg, cyborg. <laughs> yeah um 
But I, I mean, th this is at least as common as a robot in, in comic books. You know, people that have robot parts. You know, I mean, Misty Knight has a robot arm, you know, or, or, or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's almost like we see machines as extensions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we build on additions to our humanity through robotics. Yeah, um, it's we see machines as extensions of ourselves, but it's also... Uh, the first thing you were talking about, the ghost and the machine thing, it's the, the question is how much of me can disappear and me still be me, right? You know, like that's Cyborg's question, right? Like, yeah, yeah, how yeah, much, a really interesting one. How much is, how much has to be left for me to still be me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and then there's, the, the, uh, you know, I recommended The Authority last week, and then there's The Engineer, you know, she's like replaced like her entire like blood system with like machines and stuff. Is she now just a machine or is she a person? <laughs> um, well, it's like the question of Robot Man again. I mean, ro yeah. that's Robot Man's whole mm -hmm. issue, right? Is he still himself? Well, he's got this sensory deprivation thing going mm -hmm. on. He can't, you know, he, he's got a body, he's got a brain. Mm -hmm. But they're not properly connected in such a way that he could really feel and everything like like a man can. You know, there's this distance between himself and the world that's mediated through this machine. You know, makes him perpetually isolated. Yeah. Some, um, yeah some by, of the, by the way, his uh, interpretation on Titans on DC Universe is amazing. The, oh, yeah. yeah. The Brandon Frazier. Well, you know, it's interesting. I saw the, the previews for the Doom Patrol show, which is coming out, which I'm super excited for. Yeah. But they, they've made Cyborg a member of the Doom Patrol rather than the Titan. He's, Cyborg's change. going to be in the show. And I wonder why they did that. Some of this gets back to that body-soul dualism that we talked about before when we talked about Gnosticism too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you want to hear about body-soul dualism, Go back a couple of episodes and listen to our Gnosticism episode, and you'll hear all you want to hear about that. <laughs> um, you know, there, there, this is a very fruitful topic. I think we'll have to return to this at some point in the future, uh, hopefully before the robot apocalypse, um, so that we can, you know, see what happens uh, when we replace each of us with a, a robot podcast host, see what goes on. Um, Sometimes I think we're headed there when we freeze and we get the robot voices. It's probably true, yes, with our 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 grasp grasp on technology. Somewhere I've got to find this. There there was a series um, maybe a year ago or more where somebody uh, pre-programmed a computer with an algorithm to create Olive Garden commercials. Really? And they're <laughs> <laughs> like got it to the point where it was. Creating its own Olive Garden commercials, and they're pretty hilarious. I gotta find, I gotta find some of those for you guys. If I find any good ones, uh, I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to link to it in the, in the show notes. Uh, we'd love to know what you think about all of this, about the robots, about artificial intelligence, about the tropes we talked about, and so forth. And you can reach us in your own uh, robotic way uh, via something called social media. Um, which is bound and determined to take over and create the apocalyptic situation that we are worried about today. I'm not entirely kidding about that. 
(laughs) Nevertheless, until that happens, feel free to look us up on social media. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash God and Comics, and we are on Twitter, at God and Comics. But for now, we're going to move on to our... Uh, our final segment, This or That. This or that, this or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. So, this or that, and exciting thing for you guys today, I've got our this or that ready, and then I've got a bonus, a bonus segment. We've never done this before. A bonus segment, very briefly, at the end, after this or that. Okay, you guys excited? All right. Yeah. Yeah. But let's start with the regular old this or that. Okay. Uh, Father Matt, I'm gonna start with you. Commander Data or Kit from Knight Rider? Oh, I'm gonna have to go with Commander Data, and I don't know why. I mean, did, I mean, it's just Star Trek, and it's Data, and he, he's he's probably my favorite Star Trek character of them all. I mean, it, well, it's a tie between him and Spock. Commander Data is just, you know, super cool, and and su- such a such a sensitive robot, such a you know he, uh, he's he, he he's really one of the most human characters on Star Trek. Yeah, I agree. I I don't know why Brent Spiner didn't get every acting award that exists during uh, the years he was playing that character because he managed to convince us all that he was playing a character who had no emotions did so in a very emotional way i don't know how you do that but uh, but somehow he did it but i'll tell you you know one of my you know how i think we all have these like go-to fictional character battles that we uh, like to talk through every once in a while when i say we all i mean we all nerds i don't mean like the general population um, but, you know, like, you've got your favorite, like, comic book uh, characters who you'd like to see fight, ask people about. One of the ones I always like to ask is Data driving Kit fighting with his brother Lore, the evil Data, <laughs> Lore, who is fighting Carr, who was the evil version of Kit. That's right. <laughs> like, who would win in that scenario if they were battling each other, you know? It sounds like the latest series from Dynamite Comics that you, you, you might have to propose It clearly that. has to happen, doesn't it? It clearly has <laughs> to happen. Okay. Father Kyle, The Vision or Red Tornado? I'm going to go with Red Tornado. I always liked Red Tornado. I think that Red Tornado's... Uh, uh, appearance in the 1980s in the late Justice League was I, I really liked his character but I really liked him when uh, he was in Young Justice in the yes. late 1990s mm-hmm. and they tried to resurrect him as a mentor to to all the younger superheroes at the time yes uh, you know I thought he had he had a lot of uh, of working through his emotions and you know that struggle what it is to be a quote-unquote human so yeah, I'll go with Red Tornado. You know, I don't know Red Tornado that well. I mean, I know him more now through those cartoons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my my son has the cool little Red Tornado Imaginext figure that actually spins on a Red Tornado. It's pretty neat. But I I, I knew Red Tornado back from the days where they had the Super Friends uh, toys, and I always thought he looked like super cool yeah i actually have that action figure you do that's cool i used okay father matt robocop or robocalls robocop 
any day. <laughs> Robocop not... any day. Yeah, no, I, 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 no, I think Robocop should be deployed to eliminate Robocalls. You're, you're not a fan <laughs> of Robocalls? <laughs> Maybe even that, what was the T9000 or whatever, the, the machine that they were, it was like, you have 10 seconds to comply. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 10, 9, 8, and it was like, no, no, no. <laughs> that should happen every time someone gets a robocall. Uh-huh. One of those things should just be deployed to the spot. <laughs> I, Father Kyle, dance-off or staring contest? I'll go with a uh, staring contest. Okay, why is that? Only because... Uh, uh, I have no idea why, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's if I had... Inti- it's more intimidating than the dance-off, let's say that. There's power in the stare. I, I, I mean, I feel like a dance-off is probably... Um, requires more skill. Uh, it certainly does. And I am... Uh, uh, not in the kind of shape that I would need to be in for a dance-off. Okay, uh, last one goes to Father uh, Father Matt. Shinto, the ancient Japanese uh, ancestor religion, Shinto, or a 57 Chevy? It's been a while. Oh, well, um, I don't think I can successfully... Uh, combine my christian faith with shinto um (laughs) but i can certainly reconcile my my faith uh with riding in a 57 chevy so i'm gonna have to go with 57 chevy Mm, interesting interesting very pious answer father okay so uh now that we've done this or that are you guys ready for a little bonus segment that i decided to add for for uh, today's show Sure. Okay. So, um, this may not, it probably still won't, you know, this may not, and it probably won't be uh, in the news anymore uh, by the time this episode comes out. But there was a story today uh, about uh, the new uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who was asked about her favorite Bible verse. And she uh, said, the words of her favorite Bible verse, and I'm just I'm just trying to get this to load uh, so that I can I can read it to you. Uh, so her favorite Bible verse: "To minister to the needs of God's creation is an act of worship. To ignore those needs is to dishonor the God who made us." Okay, which is which is you know is 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 actually pretty good. Um, the problem is it's not in the Bible at all. Uh, and so, and she, and she actually, but here's the interesting thing about this. So a num, you know, over the years, a number of politicians I've seen fall on their face when asked this question, right? Like you remember, uh, when Trump was asked, uh, president Trump was asked about this. He said something about two Corinthians, which was sort of interesting. Well, um, he, no, he said his favorite Bible verse was, uh, Eye for an eye. Oh, did he actually say that? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's appropriate <laughs> for him. Um, okay, well, you know. 
But anyhow, a num- I've I've seen a number of politicians who have who have fallen into this trap of uh, they're asked they're asked about their favorite verse in the Bible, um, and they come up with you know um, God helps those who help themselves, right. right? Which is actually Benjamin Franklin and not the Bible, um, or something like that. Pelosi is the first one I've seen who she's asked what her favorite verse is. She says what I just read to you all, and then she immediately said, before even being asked a follow-up question, she said, I can't find it in the Bible, but I quote it all the time. I keep reading and reading the Bible. I know it's there someplace. It's supposed to be in Isaiah. (laughs) It's supposed to be in Isaiah. (laughs) It's supposed to be in Isaiah. Somebody has moved it, uh, wow. but that's where it's supposed to be. So anyhow, so here's the extra segment. Uh, what I want each of you guys to tell me is what your favorite Bible verse is that's not in the Bible. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, so I'm going to give you a second here. While you're thinking about it, um, I'm going to go ahead and read everybody Nancy Pelosi's favorite verse again. To minister to the needs of God's creation is an act of worship. To ignore those needs is to dishonor the God who made us. That would be from uh, Isaiah 307, verse uh, 12. I don't know. It's a, it's a, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful quote. And I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with it. <laughs> But it's not in the Bible. Uh, Yes. Uh, Okay, yeah, and I'm actually seeing the thing that you mentioned now, Father Matt. I I found the article where, where, uh, yes, President Trump said his favorite Bible verse was an eye for an eye, Um, which, of course, uh, kind of misses the rest of that whole idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's actually like not a good thing. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, okay, Father Matt, what's your what's your favorite Bible verse that's not actually in the Bible? Teach a man to fish, and he'll <laughs> eat for a day. Or give a man a fish, <laughs> and he'll eat for a day. But teach him to fish, and you know he'll. He'll live for a lifetime, or, or so you know, you know that the variation on that. Well, you're having a lot yeah, of trouble but... with that aphorism, aren't you? <laughs> Teach a man to fish, and he'll live for a lifetime. <laughs> Doesn't everybody live for a lifetime? <laughs> well, how does it go? You know, I, I don't know. I'm not good at quoting the Bible. <laughs> uh, it's like uh, the article I saw the other day that said uh, if you. Uh, if you eat fried chicken, you have a 13% higher chance of dying. That was the headline. And I looked at that and I went, so like, if, if, I, if I don't eat fried chicken, I have an 87% chance of living forever? You have a 113% chance of dying. <laughs> Math is hard. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that, by the way, I'm pretty sure is in the Bible. The thing about fried chicken. 
pretty sure it's in the Bible. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. This is as close as we're ever going to get to political commentary on the show, by the way. That's right. All right, F- Father Kyle, what's your favorite what's your favorite Bible verse that's not in the Bible? All right. So, my favorite Bible verse that's not in the Bible is lo I stand at the door and knock and if anyone knows the password, he'll come in. What's the password? God damn it, let me in. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah. I can't. I have to bleep that out. How can I? Well, it's a minor cuss word. Are they going to give? It's us a or... break of a commandment. <laughs> <laughs> you just broke a commandment the Bible. on the, the air. Bible. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, As... you know, people who say that word have a third. 15% higher chance of dying. <laughs> <laughs> might happen tonight. I might be struck down by light. Struck down by light. Okay. I, we, we, we've got to put this episode out of its misery. Speaking of dying. Uh, if you want to listen to the show again or check out our growing archive of old shows, please check out our website at GodinComics.com. Godin Comics is subscribable through iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, Please take the time to give us a rating or a review or both. It will only take a few seconds of your time, and it absolutely helps other people to find the show. We would be so, so grateful if you did that. Our theme music, which you're hopefully banging your head to right now, is by Father Paul Wheatley, who just wants people to treat him like a real boy. And we'll see ya.